0: The following podcast contains explicit materials. It's Friday, March 9th, 2018 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I was probably as surprised as you were, and as the Secretary of State and the Presidents of Japan and South Korea were, to hear that there is going to be detente between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Maybe, maybe, the more I think about it, the more I hear... Maybe this will be the infrastructure week of international diplomacy, not quite coming off. But I have noticed that most people who have been talking about this, even critics of uh, Donald Trump, which is to say the sane people who know things, they've been positive. They're saying this is a good idea. And we're going to hear from guests who say that, too. Question whether this is a good idea. What's the downside? Well, right now I think we're thinking of this meeting as a path with divergent routes. And maybe one will lead to something like peace and the other will lead to, well, how much worse can it be? But I don't think it's that. I think it's more like, let us now project ourselves at the end and we'll know that it amounted to nothing. And if we wind our way or wend our way back, similar words, one different vowel, we'll see that it was just a huge waste of time and it was a huge distraction. And Donald Trump perhaps used it to distract us from other things that he didn't want to pay attention to. And maybe the overall effort of denuclearizing Korea will have been forgotten. And who knows? Trump may give away the shop at the same time that he gives away the most delicious piece of chocolate cake. And the way that I can prove, I think I can prove, or at least argue, or try to argue, that this is a bad idea, even though it seems like, well, what have we got to lose, is this. If it were a good idea, then presidents Obama, Clinton, Bush, and Bush would have been criticized for not doing it. Right. If this was such a good idea for a president of the United States to say, hey, we're going to meet with you, Kim, might have been a Kim Jong Il or Sung or now it's an Oon. But if it was such a good idea for the president to hear that there was a meeting going on in the White House, call everyone in and decide to meet with the president at the time of North Korea, then wouldn't we be hearing for years and years and years, I can't believe the president of the United States didn't have the foresight, the gumption, the daring to try this obvious positive tactic. It seems odd (laughs) that Trump does it. People express optimism, but no one ever mentioned that this was a good idea for more normal, informed, skilled fully staffed presidents to have done it so that's my indication it might not be a good idea but as i say on the show today we'll be having two guests smart guys talking about north korea and in the spiel i'm going to give you some silver linings but first some analysis and history with fred kaplan and then former un ambassador and frequent north korea liaison bill richardson So Donald Trump has announced his intention to meet with his adversary slash counterpart, the head of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Will this happen or will this be another, yeah, let's do a deal with DACA? Yeah, let's do a deal with guns? Remains to be seen. Stakes possibly a little higher when you're talking about a nuclearized state and a president who maybe not totally read in on all the details. Joining me now is Fred Kaplan. He writes the War Stories column for Slate. Always has. Hello, Fred. How are you? Okay. All right. Here's my first question. What could go wrong?
1: (laughs) How long do you have? (laughs) First of all, let me just say, I mean, you know, this is unabashedly a good thing. Now, a few obstacles, let's say. One is that the two leaders are going into this meeting with conflicting premises. Trump thinks that Kim is caving in to the pressure of his sanctions and threats. Kim is thinking that Trump is caving in to the reality of his nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. They're both probably right to some degree, but each guy thinks that they're going in with, with, the, with the upper hand. So how do you get to an agreement? And then what is the agreement? What are they
0: looking for? Are we sure what Kim really thinks? I mean, he could no, be playing a bit. I don't know bit. what he thinks. Right. I've never met the guy. But <laughs> uh, I would just say that look, here here is an
1: impoverished country, an impoverished totalitarian country. You know, it's had three leaders in its entire history, which was began shortly after World War II. Kim his father, and his grandfather. The basic strategy of all three leaders has been pretty much the same, which is to accept the fact that, as Kim Il-sung put it, North Korea is a shrimp among whales, and to play the neighboring big powers off of each other. And then the new Kim is the only one, the first one, to actually have some nuclear weapons at his disposal. And, you know, he's not an idiot. He looks around the globe and he sees, hmm, Qaddafi gave up his nukes, he's dead. Saddam Hussein gave up his nuclear program, he's dead. The Iranians gave up their nuclear program. The fact that they've done so has been verified ten times by the IAEA, and Trump still is thinking about getting out of the treaty. So why would he give up his nukes under whatever kind of assurances? You know, yeah. if the most, it's not, you know, people say, oh, well, he's crazy. I don't know, maybe, but I, the most rational person in the world, if he or she were the head of North Korea, given North Korea's interests and its position in the world, would want to rush to get a nuclear arsenal as fast as he could, which is what Kim Jong un has done.
0: Short of. Getting Kim Jong-un to do what we both think he won't do, which is give up his nuclear program. Is there any concessions that Trump can win from the North Koreans that would be in U.S. national interest?
1: Well, I mean, I think it is a new thing for for Kim to have said to the South Koreans, "Okay, I will suspend all missile and nuclear tests while these talks go on. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. For him now to say also, fine, U.S. and South Korea, sure, go ahead and have military joint military exercises. I mean, South Korea and U.S. joint military exercises have traditionally provoked bellicose rhetoric from all the Kims. You know, we will rain fire upon your land if you do so. Here he's saying, yeah, go ahead. Those two concessions from Kim are... are are not insignificant. So people are saying, you know, Kim is getting recognition from the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. the, I think Trump doesn't even quite realize the extent to which merely appearing in the same room, much less sitting down at a table face to face with Kim Jong un, gives Kim a, a degree of, of legitimacy and international recognition that, you know, Kim's father tried to attain for decades and never pulled off. I mean, Kim's gotten a lot.
0: And what does that mean? I mean, I've heard this a lot. It makes sense. Some of the prestige of the United States, just by deigning to meet with him, will rub off and it will raise Kim's status. But what's the tangible benefit of that? The the UN won't sanction him as much. Someone will, some trading partner will emerge. What does that mean that his status will be raised? Uh,
1: that That's a good point. I think it's often overrated. Oh, this is a holy relic that we're giving you, you know? yeah. But to the extent that there is any kind of internal dissent bubbling up within North Korea, and there probably isn't much, since he tends to kill anybody who who, you know, raises an eyebrow or yawns, you know, literally somebody once was killed because he yawned during during a speech. But to the extent there's any kind of dissent bubbling from within, it's quelched. It's like, hey, look, I have elevated our country, to the status of a world power, meeting with the most powerful leader in the world, I am a peer of these people and and you also make you make the regional allies nervous. I mean Japan gets nervous about anything. Prime Minister Abe has got to be having a hard time getting to sleep since since this was announced, and especially with Trump, who you know has a tendency to chummy up with with any tyrant. Who shows him or feigns respect? Is he going to, to no longer take seriously concerns that regional powers raise about North Korean activities? Are the Chinese going to be feel less pressure to actually uh, hammer down on this guy? And are they going to say, "Oh well, we can start trading with him again and and, and relax"? So it, it it has it has a lot to do with, with the geopolitical realities of, of the scene and and. And uh, where the U.S. will really come down. Can we really trust the United States to you know, guarantee our security interests in the face of something that this guy might
0: do. Well, let's talk about that for a second. The stability of one of the leaders has been called into question. I'm thinking about Donald Trump. Is there something he could give away? He's so susceptible to flattery. Uh, mm-hmm. And also he's purely transactional and largely ahistorical. So he meets Kim and he decides Kim's not such a bad guy. Yeah,
1: he's a smart guy. Hey. Sure,
0: right. He's a guy I could deal with. Uh, we don't yeah. have to worry about him nuking anyone. What? How would that redound to... Uh, the, the harm of the United States or its allies?
1: You know, I, I don't think he's going to agree to, for example, pull out all the troops from South Korea or or dismantle military bases in Japan. I, I don't think so. But what, what should be happening right now is the aides prepare an amazing briefing book. They call in... Everybody who's ever sat down and negotiated with North Koreans, they call in preeminent historians, uh, regional specialists who can talk about how lessons to be learned from past negotiations. That's what most presidents would do. I don't see Trump doing any of this. Just about all of the experts who have dealt with North Korea did so in the Clinton administration. They're Democrats. He doesn't let, you know, the shadow of any Democrat, you know, fall on the Oval Office anymore. You know, the big thing that his advisors must do is, is prevent this thing from happening in Pyongyang. You know, if, if it happened in Pyongyang, Kim would put on the biggest extravaganza that the world has ever seen. Yeah. You know, there would be one million North Koreans marching in sync, you know, holding placards that when they turn them over, display... A micro pixel image of Donald Trump 100 feet tall, you know? Yeah. He would be so bowled over. Oh, yeah. He'd love it. (laughs) And then, yeah, Kim becomes his new best friend and, uh, his, his confidant and advisor on all kinds of things. I well, mean,
0: well, I would I would also fear for him, uh, you know, given the lethality of VX agent, this is the one time where his germophobia could, could save his life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Don't drink the water, John. Fred Kaplan writes the War Stories column for Slate. His uh, latest is called Summit Surprise. Thank you, Fred. Thank you. Joining me now is Bill Richardson. He's been a governor, a cabinet secretary, the ambassador to the United Nations. By the way, during the ceremony when he was named that by Bill Clinton, the president fainted and collapsed. As a longtime negotiator and ambassador, I thought there would be no one better to talk to. And of course, Governor Richardson believes that dialogue is incompatible with confrontation and peace with war. And I'm quoting from a North Korean periodical that was put in his room when he was negotiating with them. Hello, thanks for coming on.
2: Good to be with you.
0: Now, of course, in that North Korean periodical, they also refer to the United States as, quote, the disturber and wrecker of the peace, hell-bent on starting a new war in North Korea. So while negotiations are good, this isn't going to be easy, is it?
2: No, it's not going to be easy. But I uh, give the president credit for accepting uh, the summit meeting with Kim Jong-un. But the North Koreans are tough. They're disciplined. They play games. They're not like us. They're a different culture in terms of wanting what they need. And uh, they'll use uh, every trick in the book to get what they want. So I hope President Trump is prepared and ready and has a negotiating team and a strategy in place before he goes in the meeting.
0: Yeah. And I was listening to an interview that Mitchell Reese, who's negotiated with the North Koreans gave, and he was—he led me to believe it might be very frustrating for someone with the attention span of a Donald Trump because there is a lot of translation and there is a disconnect between words and concepts and meaning. This might not go smoothly. It might not be like the meetings with even other heads of state that Donald Trump is used to, right?
2: That's right. And this is why it's very important that there be a lot of preparatory work ahead of time, not necessarily making deals ahead of time. But I think this is where the State Department and our diplomats and at the Defense Department work hand in hand, that they have a coherent message, that it not just be the president going in there and shooting from the hip. Because Kim Jong Un, I believe, has evolved. Into a strategic thinker. He's unpredictable, unprincipled, but the worry I have is that he has an end game and he has ways to get that end game without necessarily. Completing all his commitments. The North Koreans historically have not completed their commitments with President Clinton, with President Bush, but it's better to have a lessening of tensions and understanding, at least a negotiating process, and even a f- good photo op that will reduce the tensions, but that will lead later after the summit. To a series of negotiations that are going to take a long time and and we should be very careful not to expect complete denuclearization they're not going to do it but some kind of a freeze a reduction a curbing of their nuclear missile conventional forces uh, lessening of tensions giving Japan and South Korea the residents there some breathing room so that they can not live in fear of some kind of an attack from North Korea
0: okay that makes sense but but. But so far, the president has been pretty clear that what he will accept is denuclearization, nothing less. Has he boxed himself in a little bit by that tough rhetoric beforehand?
2: Yeah, he's got to be careful. I think he should say uh, our goal is denuclearization. We're going to go into the negotiations with that objective, that it's going to take some time. But they're not going to denuclearize just to have a meeting. But at the same time, A lot of progress could be made at this meeting. There are other issues that the president should try to find out about. One, three Americans are still detained in North Korea. Two, there are thousands of bodies, uh, remains of American soldiers from the Korean War, and their families want them back. I've been trying to get some of those back. We got seven back in 2007. Uh, so there are other human rights uh, people-to-people issues that could be achieved at the summit that would lay the groundwork for tough negotiations on nuclear issues.
0: But what is the downside? I know relations are terrible, so it would seem that short of accelerating a nuclear war, things can't get worse, but I suspect they actually can.
2: Well things can't be worse than they are right now. I mean, here's this guy, Kim Jong-un. He's had, I don't know, close to 20 missile tests, nuclear tests, enormous tension in the peninsula. Actually, the best development that's happened has been the Olympics in South Korea. So having this summit of the leaders does reduce tensions, at least till the summit time, which is in, in May. You know, what you want to avoid is very high expectations But the fact that the two leaders are meeting is positive. Look, I've dealt with North Korea for years. You need a Hail Mary pass. You need a game changer. Maybe this is it. So this is why I think there's A lot of preparation that needs to happen. The president can't treat this as a reality show or The Apprentice or, you know, you're fired. This is serious diplomacy involving the hottest national security crisis in the world. So I hope he's ready and prepared and, and takes this very seriously.
0: Well, that's what gives me pause if he's prepared, but the track record doesn't show that he will be. He hasn't demonstrated, I think, the necessary policy mastery, a number of the issues that he talks about about, and he maybe likes like the glad hand and have a nice photo op, but he hasn't showed, oh, he's hunkered down and really knows the issues. So are there things he could give away without really realizing it if he goes in unprepared?
2: Well, this is why he needs a lot of preparatory work by his own staff. We need to march in concert with South Korea, uh, the president there, who does want detente with North Korea. Uh, I think that will be uh something very important the worry i have is japan and mm-hmm. japan feels very isolated you know i think they're a little resentful that uh, south korea has played such a prominent role and japan a less so i think a big player could be china you got to give china a little bit of credit their sanctions have been serious not as serious as they should be but they've enhanced dramatically the possibility that North Korea is feeling the effect of these sanctions, and maybe this brought them to the negotiating table. So, we have to have our allies, our ducks in a row, and then at the same time have some objectives, uh, you know, limited objectives. You know, the North Koreans are going to want something in return. They're going to want an end to the Korean War, the armistice. They're going to want lifting of sanctions. They're going to want assurances, security guarantees. Kim Jong-un doesn't want to get knocked off. That's the most important thing for him. He wants that kind of assurance. So this will be a long, tedious negotiation, and he's going to want some food assistance, economic assistance, you know. So this is going to be a long, long negotiation, but at least if we're negotiating, tensions are reduced, no missiles are going back and forth. The North Koreans maybe are looking at freezing some of their development with strong verification. That's so important, verification, oversight by international agencies, by the United States. Otherwise, North Korea is going to cheat, and they're going to get out of the agreement as they've done before.
0: Look, I have to say, Governor Richardson, that I admire what you're doing, especially because people like you, Madeline Albre- Albright, Leon Panetta, been critics, I think rightly been critics of the of the president. But now because you're diplomats, you're trying to offer positive reinforcement. I just see no evidence that he's going to take it. He's so often used these situations as only a photo op that means nothing. What can be done? Is it is it staffing, maybe getting uh, uh, the the undersecretary for the State Department confirmed in time? Are there people within his orbit already who you could point to, who you could say, listen to this guy, listen to this woman, because I think it's a desperate situation. And I'm not at all convinced that given his past record, he will be prepared.
2: You're right he has to he's got 2 months to clean up his act and and get advice from former presidents assemble a negotiating team from state and the department of defense let tillerson run the show i mean he's the secretary of state consult with experts that have dealt with north korea go to the country and explain his objectives change his behavior and attitude towards the presidency and recognize that this is the most Important foreign policy issue he may face in his term now you know most people say, Well, the record isn 't so good uh, and, and I would agree so far i I disagree with about ninety percent of what he 's done as president and about ninety eight percent of what he 's done on foreign policy. but on this issue um I, I think we're advancing a bit slowly and and there's a real opportunity, and I think Kim jong un is also disposed to making a deal, but you've got to watch them. You've got to keep your hands on your wallet. Look, it's a dicey situation. Throw a Hail Mary pass and hope for the best.
0: Bill Richardson, Ambassador, Governor, Secretary. What, what title <laughs> hasn't he held? Thank you so much. All the best. Thank you. And now the spiel. You know, so much of the time we're lost. We say, please, God, tell us what is right. Tell us what is true. And there is no justice. The rich win. The poor are powerless. We become tired of hearing people lie. And after a time, we become dead. A little dead. We begin to think of ourselves as victims. And we become victims. But today, I give you faith. I give you solace. I bring you The Bright Side what is good and what is proper and what should be. Headline, NBC, Michael Cohen used Trump company email in Stormy Daniels' arrangements. The New York Times says the Stormy Daniels scandal gets serious. Philip Bump of the Washington Post puts it bluntly, it seems almost certain now that the Stormy Daniels payoff violated election laws. Yes, that's right. We have now determined that the star of Trailer Trash Nurses 6 and the director of Sex Door Neighbors has a better lawyer than the president of the United States, has retained more qualified counsel. Well, to be fair, Trailer Trash Nurses 1 through 5 did pay quite a bit to allow her to get a bright, bright attorney on retainer. Her new lawyer is Michael Avenatti. He's a, a guy with My Haircut, My first name, uh, some similarities to my last name, and he's doing a bang-up job. He looked at the contract and said, this was clearly written by an idiot. You know, sometimes you got to tip your cap to well-executed audacity or bold and intricate nefariousness. But these guys, these Trump guys, they're just bumbling jerk-offs. How long can a Pepe the Frog-fueled social movement sustain? And that's how it should be. If you're so incompetent, you should lose. Lots of people in the world are evil. Lots of people are incompetent. But the ones who combine both need to lose. It seems like a loss is on the horizon. And now, in something else that will make you feel good, Pharma bro Martin Schreli was crying in court as he was being sentenced to seven years in prison for fraud. Now, it is good that he has been sentenced to jail. And it is fine that he is crying. But I do take issue with the pharma bro. Bro means brother. Brotherhood is good. Bros, that's a term of endearment. I know it's taken on a pejorative sheen, but broness can be good. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And isn't that a fine thing to strive for? Pharma, pharma just means, of course, pharmaceuticals. These are drugs that save lives, that improve our standard of living. So when I think of pharma bros, it's like Johnson and Johnson. Those guys are pharma bros. And they invented band-aids. And I say thank you. The problem with Martin Skrelly isn't that he's a bro or a pharma bro. It's that he's a rapacious douche, a smug weasel, a what's the phrase, bumbling jerk-off. And now he's about to find that much like his beloved Wu-Tang Clan, the federal government ain't nothing to fuck with. And you know what? Let me tell you one other good thing. It's a good thing out of a bad thing. But Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, signed today a law which allots $400 million in a public safety act to impose new restrictions on firearm purchases to ban bump stocks, to fund school police officers and mental health services, and to enact what amounts to a red flag law. And the good thing about this out of the horrible tragedy of Parkland is that you have in Rick Scott a pro-gun Republican acting like a normal politician who knows when the voters want something and want them badly, you should give it to them and not lie all the time. And there were, I think, 67 Florida legislators who have an A rating from the NRA, so now I guess it's going to F, but they voted for the law too. It just shows that sometimes the political process could work. And finally, in this day when things might seem bleak, Mike's going to talk about the bright side some more. I'll leave you with this. Yeah, life often seems unfair. It seems these days that prudence and decency are to be discarded. What's emphasized is some sort of fast twitch involuntary reflex a distractibility by what's shiny and novel that has become the coin of the realm. It's like the righteous are not just not rewarded. Maybe it's that the entire concept of righteousness is just a concoction of the rapacious to cover their tracks. Well, if you've ever been down or doubting or desiring of change, know this. Every last asshole who bought a Bitcoin in the last few months is gonna lose his money. You now, there's no big news on the Bitcoin front today. I've just been meaning to say it. This is an imaginary cryptocurrency that's supposed to change the world because it eases commerce between drug dealers and terrorists. Oh, and if you forgot a password of which you have 2000 and they're written on random scraps of paper, you've lost like $100,000 and there's nothing you could do about it. All of you guys are going to get slaughtered. Anyone who got into Bitcoin three years after the Winklevosses got into Bitcoin will be losing a lot of money. So just throw away your password now. You're going to try to recover your Bitcoin. Some dark web hacker is going to steal your overall identity. It's going to be terrible for you. Your future is preordained. You'll be sharing an emotional jail cell with Martin Shkreli, and your lawyer is going to be Michael Cohn. And for everyone else, that's the bright side. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Pierre Bienname, who always says... When you use Trump Organization emails, it seems like it's a door opener, but that's just the door to sell Block B. Mary Wilson, just senior producer for the last few months, has been wondering why Pierre bien has been walking around the office spouting aphorisms about Trump Organization emails. Steve Licktie is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. He is predicting that Michael Cohen's going to argue, come on, a Trump Organization email? What does that mean? That's no more evidence than a Trump University degree means I'm educated or eating a Trump steak means that I'm a gourmet. The gist, what amounts to a four-year-long effort to never elicit a yawn. The life I save may be your own. Um per de du pro, and thanks for listening.